Hi everyone and welcome to episode 5 of On Track, Off Course with Racing Welfare. This week we are focusing on diversity and it's a really hot topic in racing at the moment and I think Tina it can often feel as though there's a lot of people making the right noises but there's actually very small amounts of practical action being taken. Yeah, and hopefully the fact that it has become such a hot topic and it's being talked about now, hopefully there are organisations out there within racing who actually will start to put changes in. And We talked to Elizabeth Oniaola today from Inclusive Boards as well, and she not only talks about the long-term strategies that you can put in place, but also those real quick wins that organisations can put into place straight away that will help with that change. And we're also obviously going to hear from Rishi Passad today. And if anyone listens to this and isn't moved by his emotional reaction to what's happened to him and spurred into action, I don't know what is going to get you going. No, I mean, he talks about the emotions that the kickback from racing has sort of stirred within within him and, you know, the anger and shame and all the worst types of emotions that a human being can experience. And he talks about how his life coaching has helped him with that. But you can really, when we interviewed him, it was shortly after all that kickback from racing Mm. and you could actually tell just how shaken he was, couldn't you? Yeah, you really could. And something that Susanna Gill, who also joins us today, talks about is compassion and empathy and stepping into someone else's shoes. Yeah, it's something that we're both very passionate about and it's something that Racing Welfare as an organisation are very passionate about and are making important steps to work on our own diversity from board level right the way through the organisation. Yeah, and Elizabeth talks a little bit about that today as well, doesn't she? Mm. Yeah, it was really great to have Elizabeth from Inclusive Boards. They are doing really important work across a really wide range of organisations to increase diversity at that level. And I think it's really important for racing to look outside of itself and take that learning from other industries to see what they're doing. So let's hear from our first guest. So I am really pleased to say that we are joined now by Rishi Passad, um, best known as a racing TV broadcaster, BBC sports broadcaster and former Channel 4 and BBC racing presenter. And Rishi's going to talk to us a bit today about his career in the sports industry. Thank you so much for joining us. No, my, my pleasure. I've, uh, I've enjoyed the, the start of your podcast series, so um, it's my, my pleasure to be on it. Oh, thank you, Rishi. That's good to hear. Um, so first of all, we have to ask you um, about an interview that you did a few weeks ago with Josh Appiaffi on mm. diversity, and you faced a lot of kickback after mm. that interview. How have you dealt with all those comments? Because there's been comments from people within the industry, trainers, people at the top of the sport, social media. How is it made you feel and how are you and how have you dealt with it um start with honesty uh which is good <laughs> um <laughs> it, it it hurt my feelings because when I did the interview with Josh I didn't do the interview because I was criticizing racing and I didn't do the interview because I wanted to threaten anybody to make them feel afraid of about what I was saying I did the interview because I felt I could say something that might help the industry. And it's a twofold reason why the industry can be better. Um, There's there's the moral reason where we try to eliminate discrimination, but that that works in all levels of society. Uh, And the other, obviously, there's a business case for for, for diversity and no discrimination, because obviously the more open you are, more welcome you are, the more clients, customers coming, the better the experience is for everybody. Um, and then people will, will benefit financially. Uh, so I felt that what I said was in, in keeping with those two um, objectives. So I must admit, I, I didn't realise that people would take what I said the way they took it, as opposed to how I intended it. And uh, I was disappointed that people chose 
to interpret the words that I said as uh, criticism. And uh, a lot of people seem to misconstrue the fact that I mentioned the way, uh, the way the status is with regards to the makeup of stable staff and train the training ranks as some sort of criticism of the trainers that currently is. Of course not. Of course not. Well, why would I criticize people who'd worked hard to achieve what they want? That's exactly the, the principles that I want in life. And, you know, that's what everybody should strive through strive to you know the more you work the harder you work the more you achieve that should be the the principle that we teach all our children but the other principle that we should be teaching all our children is that there are no barriers to uh, opportunity there are no barriers to success um, and that's all I was saying ought to be brought in line primarily because I'd met a couple of incidents more than a couple of incidents I only highlighted a couple in the interview with Josh it was only 20 20 something minutes long I wasn't going to tell him my whole life story um and in that in the, that interview that I did I, I mentioned a couple of things that I experienced and I was just I, I laid it out as the the case for there is something that exists there uh, and there is a lack of diversity in the sport so maybe if I've encountered it and there is a lack of diversity, perhaps we can remove all discrimination from sport, uh, from, from, from life entirely. I mean, if one person is discriminated against in life, that's one too many. Um, and I was surprised about the way people responded uh, with such feeling as well, which um, I, I, I remember I speak, speaking to a close friend of mine, Nick Luck, afterwards, and I, I said to him that I, I got the temperature of the water incredibly wrong. I thought it was a lot warmer and more receptive to more diversity but actually um there is it's a lot colder than i thought and that's that was surprising uh, a little bit of a of a jolt um and also like i said i i was hurt by it but then a lot of people came out to me or reached out to me to say thank you for speaking out um thank you for raising the issue i had people contacting me who hadn't said that they'd felt the same way before because they were afraid that they would re re uh, face the same sort of reaction that i did and it made me realize that actually maybe what i said and what i did uh, has has helped a few people along the way and therefore it, it dissolves all the all the negative feelings that i may have experienced uh, in the last uh, in 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 the period after I, I did the interview, so um, ultimately a positive experience because of the fact that I helped a few people. Do you think that what we need is those people that came out to you to support you that have messaged you personally? They need to be the people that are being more publicly vocal, and that perhaps you haven't misjudged the temperature of the water. It's just that those negative opinions have been voiced publicly rather than directed at sort of personally to you? It's a good point. Um, but when I think back to, uh, so I, I had a phone call uh, in the days after saying what I said from a very, very close friend uh, who um, witnessed once somebody saying something racist to me. And this was about 15 years ago that this person witnessed it. And that person said to me, you should complain. You should make a formal complaint. And I said, no, I, I don't want to. And I didn't at the time. And in the wake of what happened uh, after my interview, that same person rang me up and uh, said to me, all those years ago, I remember asking why you, I remember asking you to make a formal complaint about what had happened and you didn't. And now I understand why you didn't. If you've lived and worked in the industry your whole life, you've never experienced any discrimination whatsoever, that's great. It means it can happen. But don't decry the people who've contacted me and the other people who've supported me that says I have suffered from discrimination don't the people who say I've never suffered it and it doesn't exist in my world in my in racing please don't tell other people that what happened to them doesn't count it, it and this is where I, I, I'm really disappointed that people aren't prepared to understand other people I understand it's their choice um, but all I ask is that if you can appreciate that other people have suffered discrimination, whatever that may be, and just because I was speaking of race doesn't mean that all I care about is race and Bane and Black Lives Matter, which is what I've been accused of, that I'm jumping on a bandwagon or I want headlines. That wasn't what I was saying. What I was saying in the context of my experiences 
aka racism was the fact that I think we should try and eliminate discrimination of any kind um, and some people were saying well doesn't exist in my world so doesn't exist full stop I no, think you it, there was one thing you said um, that really stuck out for me in your interview with Josh about um, feeling um, that you have to be extra polite, extra nice, never have a strong opinion, never react to something. And I personally, and I'm sure there are plenty of women from that angle of diversity who would recognize that feeling so much. Don't be too opinionated, don't be too strong, don't be polite, be a good girl, say the right thing, and that'll mm. get you where you need to go. Um, so I'm sure there are if you can continue to have this conversation, that there will be people that can empathise from lots of different angles with what you've been saying. I hope you aren't discouraged from continuing. No, and, and comments like that, that you say, you know, it, it, really, it really hits home that there are people that understand that they've had to fit in. And it's not just because of race. I mean, why? I don't know why people are just making it about just race. It's about discriminating against all, all types, whether people, it's because of gender or ethnicity or uh, whether people are uh, gay. It doesn't matter why you're discriminated against because discrimination covers everything. Um, and as you say, when people feel that they have to alter their real personality to fit in because they're afraid, then surely we are suppressing the real the personality that needs to needs to exist it can't be healthy for us and then what 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 what's that going to lead to we what's the biggest hottest topic in the world at the moment mental health well-being and you know the fact that generally most issues of well-being come from uh, suppression of emotions and um, i was just going to say that's um something that you discussed a lot on um some podcast episodes you did yeah. with a life coach has talking to a life coach helped you deal with the fallout of what's happened since your enormously. interview with josh enormously in in fairness um so richard moat my my friend um who is a, a life coach i've known him for a long long time so i have uh learned of him in conversations about emotions and suppression and, and what what it can do to you um and and in in the course of our conversations over to, over time uh he's made me aware of my own uh, way of living and what i do and um how i behave uh and and as a consequence when the, when what happened with the interview um all the fallout that happened with it uh i was able to to deal with it it I was it was an instant i, I mean i, I just like and you know, just like anybody else, I felt hurt and I felt uh, shame. I felt embarrassed. Uh, I felt angry. Uh, I felt a lot of things. I felt afraid that I'd upset people that I admire, for example. Um, and, and I had to deal with those. But then uh, once, once those emotions sort of calm down, you then start to think about those people who've, um, who've got angry and realize that, it, those, that those are their choices to get angry. And their choices to get angry or upset are based on their experiences in their life and that what's helped form their personality. And it's not just about what I've said, which then made me realize it's not whatever I've done. You know, maybe I, I've threatened them by saying what I've said, you know, and people have responded how they would do through their life to what they perceive to be a threat. But my point is, is I'm not trying to threaten I'm not trying to strike fear into anyone. What inspired you to get into racing in the first place? And did you well, did you experience any of those barriers? When well, you when I was when I was a child growing up, I grew up in in the West Indies, um, and my dad was obsessed with racing. Um, and so, like any child father that you know are close, and I was very close to my dad. Um, I wanted to be involved in everything that he was involved with. So I fell in love with racing from a very young age. And then I came to school in the UK um, when I was about 12. Um, and we had we had an interest in horses here. Um, uh, I, 
was I was obsessed with it. Obviously, you know, I, I watched everything I could. I read everything I could. Um, I used to. I remember one when I was at boarding school. I'd, I'd um, make up the fact that my parents had come over from the Caribbean and I was going on exit and I'd go and stay in the house that we had. Um, and I'd go to Newmarket. I'd take a friend with me because I couldn't stay in the house on my own. Um, and then I'd go to Newmarket races um, on our own and uh, and we'd, we'd basically lie to our, to our teachers and housemasters that we had a great exit weekend. My parents came over and now they're going back to Trinidad and we got taxi back. What? Uh, so anyway, um, that's how I think that's, safeguarding so I was, issues are slightly better today. I'm not sure you'd get away with that anymore. <laughs> not, no, no, in fairness, I was 16, uh, but yeah, I managed to get away with it in those days. I think schools were a little bit more trusting. Yeah. I don't know, you, you're absolutely right. Um, but yeah, so I've, uh, you know, ever since uh, childhood, all I thought about was was racing. You know, I, I, every time I could go and nick the key from my housemaster to go down to the start to the TV room. Uh, to watch uh, racing whenever it was on was always a, a, a real thrill for me. I guess it would be like, you know, when kids get caught smoking or drinking underage or whatever <laughs> at school. Um, mine was going to watch the racing on the telly because if, if I got caught, I'd be in big trouble. But um, I, thankfully, I, I managed to dodge the housemaster enough times. And how did it go from a passion to a career? Um, well, I went to... Uh, so after university so my dad was a lawyer and um, uh, I, I did law at university and then after um, finishing my uni I took the had to, had to dig up a, a bit of courage to tell my parents that I actually didn't want to follow in my dad's footsteps and I'd rather find a, a career in racing um, and I struggled to get uh, an opportunity in racing to begin with um, and eventually I got a, I got a job with uh, a PR company that worked in horse racing. Um, and uh, I worked for them for about four and a half years, um, uh, sports guide uh, and uh, Laurie and Philip Brannan I worked for. And then one, one day uh, I went away for a holiday back to the, back to Trinidad, back to the Caribbean. And when I came back, Laurie uh, had told me that whilst I was away, he'd written a letter to at the races as they were when they were starting out back in 2002. Um, he wrote a letter to them to say that he understands their recruiting. If they're looking for a new face, then this guy knows something about racing, maybe worth giving him a shot. Uh, and I, it wasn't like an ambition of mine to work on television or anything. It was all because Laurie had put me forward for it. So I went for a screen test. It was the final day of screen testing in May, in sorry, March 2002, um, just before the Cheltenham Festival, the Friday. Uh, I went along, did the screen test, and on the Monday they offered me a job uh, as a presenter, uh, which I thought was, you know, a I'm shocked, completely shocked that they'd offered me a job. But then it it changed my life. What do you? think the opportunities are for young people coming into the industry at the moment well I guess because I when I tried to enter the industry what is it now 23 24 25 years ago there was very little uh there was there wasn't really a a pathway uh, for people to get in the industry it, certainly in my experience um there was no defined uh, programs there wasn't um a, a way of of earning a spot in the industry um that certainly there, there are now you know with the, the bha graduate scheme even you know, the godolphin or dali flying start as it was you know um that was something that came along after i'd already got a job in racing so i do believe that there are more programs that help and the other thing that helps as well is you know more grassroots program racing to schools program etc that make people young people who may not have an obvious interest in racing make people aware about the industry and make people aware that it, it is an option not it's you know it's it's not something that people would go to generally or people outside the sport perhaps don't realize that actually there are great careers in, in racing is there anything further that you think racing could do to help people get into the industry because there are that there is the bha grad scheme and dali flying start but they're still quite difficult to get onto aren't they they're very competitive and you often see people on twitter saying oh i just i really want to get into racing what can i do and mm. I've, 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 I, might have, I don't know whether you've heard me say this before, but I, I have wondered whether racing can do more with uh, universities, for example. You know, is there some scheme that can be attached to universities, whether it's a, it's a proper 
uh, course or whether that it can be placements for, for students in certain degrees that they're doing at university to give them experience through their university uh, years. Uh, it, positions in, in the racing industry, whether they you know, allow them to experience what it is that we have in the industry to offer. Do you think what we also need perhaps is a route through that doesn't involve being at university? Is there something hmm. that people can come up through yards into something like the BHA grad scheme and use that experience that they've got hands on and bring yeah. that into the higher levels of the industry? The, the more we can we can do to offer the opportunities to as many people as possible and to make it uh, to make it aware to make people aware that racing is a, is a great industry you know um, my daughter uh, goes to the races every now and then when we could do it's a great day out and she doesn't just go there obviously she doesn't go there for fun fair and run. she goes there to see horses and she loves it um, and there are other other children her age that I know go to the races for a good day out and the, the one thing that I've always said is, and I know that we try to get young people involved in racing, but I think the most important thing is to get families together to go racing. Because I, the majority of people that I know, and I'm talking from my experience again, is that when you, when, when you get involved in racing, it's normally through an association with a parent or a grandparent or an uncle that take you and you share the interest of the adult. And by being able to share the interest of the adult, it allows you to, to form that passion. But once you've got that passion, then you want things like uh, a program, whether it's schools, universities, et cetera, in order to help you uh, facilitate your, your love for it. Just um, thinking about your daughter, Rishi, how many children do you have? Uh, one, she's nine turning 10, turning 20. <laughs> uh, are you enjoying that? <laughs> Oh, it's it's great fun. It is great fun. Uh, um, she's you, you know you always see those films where they go they're growing up so fast. My goodness, <laughs> they grow up fast. And just thinking about your daughter and tying it back into what we were talking about at the beginning um, of the interview, what do you hope the industry looks like for her if that's where she wants to go in another ten years? I would like at the end of my time on this earth that if I had the opportunity to remove the same challenges and same discriminations that I had for my children, and not just my children, and not my daughter, but, but for everybody's children, if I had an opportunity to do it and I didn't do it, how would I feel about that in whenever it is that the end comes? Uh, probably wouldn't feel great about it. And that's what I, I would like. I would like that we, we, we remove those, those uh, areas of discrimination that obviously exist. Nobody is perfect. But working towards total elimination of discrimination has surely got to be uh, a, a target and an aim. And what, what advice would you give to anyone who is looking to get into racing? What would your top piece of advice be? Well, uh, you know, in, in my, my industry, often people always ask me about um, how to take or how to get opportunities in, in broadcasting, for example. And often I always say to them that, the thing that really strikes me with people who try to get into broadcasting, for example, in racing is uh, the ones who have a genuine passion for it, as opposed to the ones who want to do it as a job. And <laughs> I believe that in racing, there are more passionate people that I have met um, in, than in most areas of work, uh, whatever the other industries are. People do so much because they absolutely love racing. They love horses, people in, in the yards, you know, I, my, my other half um, is involved at Simon Dow's yard and you go there and you see the people in the yard, how much they love the horses uh, and how much they, they, they love the experience of being in the yard and being with the horses. Um, and I think racing is lucky to have that at the moment, you know, people who have that desperate passion for being involved in racing. Um, and my advice to people always is, is to, to either, well, if you haven't got the passion, you need, to, you need to immerse yourself in the sport to try and understand what it is that makes people tick about it. Um, and I always say that, you know, if you immerse yourself in it and you have that passion for it, when the opportunity comes knocking, you're more than prepared to take it because that, that passion and that knowledge and that interest in racing is something that you can't fake. It's either yeah. real or it's not there. 
100% agree with that. So Rishi, thank you so much for joining us today. But before you go, I'm going to hit you with our quick fire five. Okay. So fill in the blank. I am happiest when? Uh, sitting at home with my uh, other half, my daughter, our dog, and we've got a puppy coming. Um, watching something that we all enjoy on a rainy day where we're on the sofa and under the duvet. Sounds like heaven. Uh, <laughs> when I'm overwhelmed, I... When I'm overwhelmed, I think back to things that my mum and dad used to tell me when I was young, which was always try and do the right thing. And if you don't, pray you get lucky. <laughs> um, and third question. Can you give us your one top tip for looking after your well-being? One top tip for looking after your well-being is always, always, if you can, express your true feelings. And fourth question, can you give us someone or a book or a film who've inspired you recently? Uh, someone or a book or a film that's inspired me uh this is a good question <laughs> I've, I've been so um what's the word battered and bruised over the last week i haven't Aww. found um i have been inspired actually in, in the last so just very briefly when i was in the the worst of the emotions from what had happened with the interview uh i woke up uh, one morning and I looked at my phone and there was a message from Michael Holden um, and he said I've just read your stuff in the Racing Post um, well done uh, you're going to face people uh, pushing back but uh, what you've done is a good thing and you should be proud of yourself. Amazing and final question can you give us a horse to follow? A, a jump horse to follow yeah, well, you choose, it's, yeah. It, it, well, it's an obvious one, I'm afraid, because I, uh, the cat is most definitely out of the bag now. But if the big breakaway doesn't turn into a, a superstar, I will be absolutely devastated. He looks the most wonderful uh, horse. I thought he jumped quite well at Cheltenham on his uh, chasing debut. And he is a beautiful creature. And no wonder they paid a lot of money for him. Thank you very much. Thanks, My pleasure. Richie. My pleasure. So we are joined now by Susanna Gill, who's the Communications and Corporate Affairs Director at the Tote, and she's also Chair of the Sports Diversity in Racing Steering Group. We're really pleased to have you with us today, Susanna. Thanks so much. Lovely to be here and have a chat with you both. We have spoken to Rishi on this episode and quite understandably he's talked about the recent kickback that he experienced from people within the industry and racing fans uh, when he did his diversity interview with Josh Appiaffi. And he said that he felt anger and shame and guilt and disbelief. And I just wondered as someone on the steering group, what was your reaction to that kickback? Yeah, it's, it's been a fascinating episode. I mean, firstly, as a, a fellow member of the steering group, I feel enormous pride and in, in, in Rishi being part of the group and him being able to speak so honestly. It's not an easy thing to do. It's much easier not to do it than it is to do it. Um, Josh Appiaffi is also a colleague of mine. Uh, so I, I just have huge respect for them both in, in saying the things that need to be said. And then it doesn't make easy listening. Um, you know, particularly on the issue of ethnicity, as white people, we're very, I think we're very prone to just wanting the issue to go away. We see the world as white or people say, well, well, I'm not a racist. It doesn't involve me. And, and we all get to live you know, our lives perfectly normally without the color of our skin ever really being a factor. Doesn't mean we'll have an easy life, but normally it means that the color of our skin doesn't make it more difficult. And I think being able to listen and hear opinions from other people who have different experiences is so important. And it's not always something we're very good at doing, I think, because it makes us uncomfortable. So I think it's been such a useful episode in allowing people to hear those experiences. And now as a sport, we have to say, well, how do we make sure people have more positive experience and don't uh, experience discrimination or, or any prejudice because of the color of their skin? 
were you surprised at the level of the kickback that came from not just from outside by the like anonymous Twitter trolls, but from people inside the industry as well? Did that take you aback? I confess to being a bit uh, maybe soft these days, and I don't tend to look at the worst aspects of social media. In this case, I did just to know what what Rishi and Josh experience, but I wouldn't I wouldn't read every comment simply because I just find it such an unpleasant place and not very nice people writing it. Um, so I probably wasn't surprised there. I think in racing, sometimes what I'm surprised by is the deafening silence. Mm. Um, people in positions of influence they must read the headlines and see the stories. And I know lots of lots of people did reach out to Rishi and he was really, really heartened by the positive response, particularly on the back of the interview he did with the Racing Post the following week, where he was able to elaborate on things a bit more. So I know he did have support, but I think, like I say, that the thing that always surprises me is just the people of influence in our sport, I think have closed their ears and don't want to hear it, or maybe they're busy and they don't see it. But I think the more those who have positions of, of power in our sport stand up and say, yeah, I'm with Rishi, I'm not gonna stand for any discrimination. They, they have a huge weight and a huge following um, and can have a really big impact if they want to do that. And you know, part of being on the diversity and steering group is that we're all people that care and are willing to put our heads above the parapet and, and say the things and be part of the difficult debate. And I think the more people in our sport, particularly those in positions of influence and power who are willing to get involved and say, yeah, you know, I'm happy to try and work and make our sport a better place. And I certainly won't stand for any discrimination would have a hugely positive impact as opposed to thinking, actually, I don't really want to say anything. It's much better if I sit it out, someone else can do that. Because the problem is if everyone thinks that nothing changes. And Lee Mottershead, um, he's also on the board, he wrote in his column recently that there are plans in place going forward after that kickback. What does that involve? What are those plans? Yeah, so there's been some real positive developments this year out of what has been a huge, hugely difficult year for everyone, understatement. Um, I think... We've been in existence as a steering group since 2017, but it's sometimes been quite hard to connect with all the different bodies across the sport. Um, and what was happening before um, Rishi did his interview, but has been cemented since as a commitment from the main organizations in the sport to come together and make a public commitment to diversity and inclusion. And we're working with them as the diversity group at the moment, and we'll hopefully be able to share something in the early new year. So it'll be a really positive start to, to 2021. And it's a massively important part for the sport, not only to, to make sure that the sport moves with society and reflects a modern society, but also to support the um, financial um, base of the sport, because actually all of this work is about bringing more people into the sport who can enjoy it, whether that's being an owner, going racing as we all really want to be able to do normally next year, uh, watching the sport, having a bet on the sport. At the end of the day, every pound coin that we want coming into racing goes back to a human being somewhere. So the more people that we can involve at any level in racing uh, means a, a stronger financial if you want to look at it in a very simple simple terms like that and I think now we've got the main organizations in the sport so that the horsemen and women's group the RCA and the BHA all willing to come together and make a public commitment I think we'll be able to move perhaps a bit quicker in the years ahead than we have done in the last couple of years. Do you worry that other people might not come forward who may have come forward and they may now be scared as Rishi said they you know other people might not, not come forward now for fear of that kickback? Um, I mean, everyone's an individual and, and they make their own choices, but I think I see a real positive uh, move to do things collectively. I mean, only at the weekend we had um, the launch of Racing as Everyone's Sport, Great British Racing's worked on it and we've supported as the diversity group and Lee in fact gave a brilliant ITV interview about what it meant for him and I think he was quite right actually that in terms of the LGBT plus community, racing, I think, is a welcoming place, but there may be a perception that it isn't. 
uh, and that's what we need to get rid of. And I think if we do positive and constructive things like that, and people like Lee, who again, really proud to, to, for him to be a member of the group, stand up and say these things, then that encourages people to actually, he's just like me and he's willing to say it. And, and people will feel more confident about being themselves while being part of racing. And um, on a more individual level, what could people like me and Tina be doing every day to try and have a positive impact on diversity? I think there's lots of things we can do. Um, one, which it might sound a bit abstract, but I think um, we could all take the advice of, of a hero of mine, Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird, and spend some time thinking about things from other people's perspectives, or as, or as Atticus puts it, walking around in other people's shoes. I think if we all do that, we would understand each other a lot more. And it's also fun. We, we spend the whole time stuck in our own bodies, considering things from our own points of view. So I think doing that's really helpful. I think educating and learning about things is, is also real positive. So on the Racing to Learn platform, um, there's a module about, for example, LGBT uh, plus um, area. There's also one about community work. That, that goes on in and around racing. We're going to develop one uh, about diversity and inclusion. So everyone's got a chance to learn because I think sometimes some of the silence is that people don't know how to talk about things or they feel fearful of getting things wrong. And that's that's understandable. And it's, it's as a diversity group to help people do that. And also if you are in any position of power in racing, and that can be at any level from senior management right through to if you're running a race course or you're a senior person at a race course through to anyone in a yard, you know, look at look at the world around you and say, are we doing everything we can to support those individuals who we're responsible for? And, you know, could we be doing more? And I think also on a real personal level, if you see behaviour or you hear people sort of saying things that are inappropriate, you have to call it out. And it's really tough and it's very, very difficult to do. I mean... I've only experienced a little bit of sexism or anything inappropriate in the workplace and very isolated occasions, but you can't go along with the joke. You shouldn't do that. You should call it out because that's the only way we're going to change behaviour and make the sport more welcoming. And you've got to know that if you do that, there are support networks there for you and people you can reach out to and talk to. Um, but that's just some of the things that are within all of our powers to do. And it's not, it's not about doing difficult things but just doing the doing the right things yeah that's really good advice I think I'll we'll definitely link to those um learning modules in our show notes because um, I'm sure that'll benefit lots of people yeah we've done those at race and welfare mm -hmm. haven't we so yeah they are very useful and they only take 20 minutes yeah like I 20 think minutes out of your day and they are actually like very informative and I think people will get a lot out of them um, and I think a really important point you make is about the walking in other people's shoes. And we talked with Rishi about it, you know, having compassion and empathy and just being able, you know, instead of just thinking, oh, no, that's never happened. But just being able to think, well, actually, it did happen to Rishi. And how actually would it make us feel? That's been really, really good to hear. No, I, I agree. And, and you just, the, the personal stories, like something that resonated with me on, or that I read on Twitter in the summer, a black female sports journalist turned up to the London Marathon to cover it in her media role. And someone just said to her, are you part of the cleaning staff? Literally, they, wow. made, they made an assessment on her role based entirely on the colour of her skin. I mean, it makes me angry just thinking about it. It didn't even happen to me. And so I think, again, you know, coming back to, to Rishi and what, he, what he's experienced and other people have, as white people, we sort of say, oh, well, I don't know why you get so upset. But if you actually thought about what that would be like as an experience, mm -hmm. making a judgment on you based on the colour, purely on the colour of your skin. I mean, if it happened to me, I would be so angry. And yet our response is sort of calm down. What's the problem? I don't really see what you're what the issue is so we've just all got to be so much better at understanding the world from each other's perspectives that really is start the starting point to understanding each other and changing things So we're joined now by Elizabeth Oniyola from Inclusive Boards. Inclusive Boards support organisations to become more diverse at board and senior level. Thanks so much for joining us today, Elizabeth. 
Thank you for having me. Um, there was an article recently in the Racing Post which described um, quite clearly the lack of diversity at board level in our industry. Could mm. you talk to us a bit about why diversity at board level is so important? Um, diversity at that level, at the most senior level, is critically important because it sends a message to the rest of the organisation and also your external stakeholders as well. So the staff members and senior leadership team are looking at the board to represent them. So when the board doesn't have diversity, um, what it's basically showing to staff members is, well, our organisation is not as representative as it can be. We've seen the impact across many different sectors and organisations where a board, um, the makeup of a board changes and that changes the way staff members engage with the organisation. We've seen the way it increases staff retention as well. And externally, you're sending a signal to others that this is an organisation that welcomes everyone. So it is important at that level. And how can organisations generally go about diversifying at board level? Sure. First of all, it first of all is the right thing to do. So the moral case is very clear and it's been spoken about on many different occasions. For boards, they need to determine what the potential risks are to them by not having a, a diverse board in itself. So when you lack diversity, both visually, um, visibly, sorry, and invisibly, what does that mean um, for your business? What does that mean for the organization? So this means you need to look at your board effectiveness and ask, what are we missing? So that's skills and that's the people sitting around the table. And you need to ask yourself, well, how are we going to hold ourselves to account on this? So the, the, um, the, in the sports sector, we know that there is the code for sport governance, where it asks for board to have a board specific diversity action plan. So that means as a board, how are we going to address the issues of diversity that we have? Or how are we going to continue to hold ourselves to account? And by having a, an action plan, that's one of the ways in which you can do that. So if your organization doesn't have one for your board, that's something to think about. And you need to think about the actions that are practical that you can take, which will actually yield results and not just doing it because we want to tick a box or anything. Um, and the other things that boards need to think about is it's not just about bringing people in, but it's also about how inclusive you are. So there's the diversity aspect, yes. But when you do bring diverse candidates in, that could be skills, that could be um, disability, it could be ethnicity, gender, whatever that may look like. You need to ask also, are we inclusive? Um, when do our board meetings take place? Do we offer to pay for childcare? Um, do we think about accessibility, for example, your onboarding process? Is it comprehensive or do you expect people to, to know it all from the first meeting? These are critical questions to be asking. And at the recruitment stage, you need to ask, are we being strict on skills? So are you looking for your purple squirrel? Um, are you looking at job titles? And instead, are you thinking about the things that we need as a board? Especially this year, we've seen that having the right skills on the board is so crucial to getting you through the tough times. So are you lacking some critical skills on the board? One of the key um, skills that we've had requested for this year has been digital transformation. And it's obvious. <laughs> um, almost every organization that we've engaged with since the beginning of lockdown has asked for fundraising and digital transformation so it's asking do we even have those um, skills on our board and um, is there something specific to say around how increasing diversity can help a charity yes absolutely so for charities there's almost um We've heard of the business case for diversity and it's almost always seen as a commercial agenda. It's not always the case. So for a charitable organization, diversity, um, increasing diversity at board means that the conversations and the engagement level changes. So we've seen occasions whereby when they've brought someone on the board that has a different idea and has engaged with different communities, they're able to expand one, the ability to fundraise in different communities and number two the ability to engage people in different communities so that means you're bringing um racing for example you're bringing people from different communities who would typically not have 
thought about um, horse racing as a sport even. And we've seen a documentary around this that where a girl in Southeast London has done incredibly well um, the first time she got on a horse. So diversity for a charity is not just a commercial activity. It means that you're increasing engagement at all levels in your business, in the organisation. Yeah, it's really interesting. Oh. Yeah, it's interesting. And when you say, you know, put an action plan in place, how long yeah. does that typically take to see that change when you do do make those changes at board level? Well, they're quick wins, so the low-hanging fruits, and then you have your more stretch goals. So the quick wins could be, well, we need to review our recruitment process, or we need to review, we need to conduct a skills audit. So those are quick wins that you can see instant changes. Um, we've seen a real change um, for the organizations that we've supported where simply by putting in your job uh, pack in a different format, readily available on your website, just changes the conversation for disabled candidates because it means that they don't always have to ask for the document in an alternative format because you've already made it available in your job pack, going beyond the simple equal opportunity statements and saying, actually, as an organization, we commit to doing X, Y, and Z, i.e. we commit to um, paying for your travel when you attend our interviews in person. Don't know when that will happen again, of course. But, <laughs> you know, when we do get back to um, the, the world in which we were before, where we were meeting face-to-face, -face, it's putting those commitments in your job packs that makes a real difference. So those are real low-hanging fruits that can make a difference to an organization. And then you have the more stretch goals, which is, okay, do we need to start thinking about conducting a, a collecting diversity data for our board members? So if that's something you don't do already, do we want to do that? And that could mean um, getting buy-in from all of the board members first. So that could be a, a longer process, for example. Why do you think that, that organizations see resistance from their existing boards to increasing diversity? I, I don't think it's so much a resistance as in so much a, they don't understand why they're doing it. So mm -hmm. sometimes you may have one person on the board who's completely sold on the idea and probably the person that brings up at every meeting, um, but everyone else needs to be taken on the same journey to understand. So. The, the ways in which that can be done is, do you need to deliver a diversity and inclusion training to the board only, for example, to get them to understand the importance of diversity? And I'm, very, I'm being very careful by not saying unconscious bias training, is to explain to them. <laughs> <laughs> you can say it. <laughs> not unconscious bias training. I'm not saying it's not good or it's not useful, but there's a need to go beyond and really explain what does diversity and inclusion mean to us as an organization? How do we define it? And at board level, how do we want to represent that? So I don't think there's a resistance, but I think there's a general agreed um, understanding of what it means to them. So everyone is not on the same page. Well, yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you so much for joining us today, Elizabeth. And there's plenty that organizations can do to, to, to get those changes in place immediately. It's, um, it's an important discussion and I'm really happy that it's taking place. I know the events of this year has probably spurred it on much quicker. So it's a, it's a good conversation to be having, an important one. As always, a big thanks to all of our guests today. It was lovely to hear from Susanna and from Elizabeth, but I think the biggest thanks today has to go to Rishi. I think we both came away from our chat with him feeling um, battered and bruised <laughs> yeah. with him. <clears throat> yeah, really blown away by the personal impact, all the fallout from his interview with Josh has had, and just really hoping that the conversation continues and that something positive comes out of it we should probably highlight at this point as well um, the diversity in racing steering group and gbr have launched racing is everyone's sport campaign as part of the stonewall's annual rainbow laces 
which hopefully is another step in the right direction for diversity and inclusion. Yeah, it's another important part of it, isn't it? And we will um, delve deeper into diversity, won't we, and do a, a whole separate episode on it. But yeah, this is it is really important. And, I, and there was a powerful video put out for the campaign, Racing as Everyone's Sport. And it was good to see that people have been accepted and, and attitudes have changed. But again, there's still a way to go. Yeah, and I'd encourage everyone to take a look on GBR's website and find out a bit more about that. A couple of other things I'd love to highlight in following our conversation with Rishi. Um, if you are interested in diversity and making those changes, one is a podcast episode with somebody called Brene Brown and it's called Dare to Lead and it's the episode with Iko Bathia and on inclusivity at work and it's called The Heart of Hard Conversations and there is some fantastic insight and tips in that episode on starting to make real change at organisations. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a great documentary on last week on the BBC called Football, Racism and Me with Anton Ferdinand, which just um, highlights what's happening in football, which I think a lot of people would find interesting just to compare. I'd also encourage anyone to listen to Rishi's podcast earlier in the year with the life coach he mentioned, Richard Moat. They have some really, really fascinating conversations and I will link that in the show notes. Great. And if anybody who's listening has been affected by any of today's issues and you work in racing or you have worked in racing, you can call us on 0800 6300 443 and that is a 24-hour support line. Yeah, and I'll put all that in the show notes as always and include all the links to the podcast episodes we've mentioned and link to the racing is everyone's sport campaign as well so you can find out more about that next week is our christmas special yeah this is this will be a fun one we've got hayley turner joining us and we're going to be doing talking about kindness and loneliness so we're going to have lots of uplifting stories hopefully as well yeah shining a light on loneliness which is particularly pertinent topic at the moment through covid Yeah, through COVID and heading into the winter and Christmas can be a difficult time for lots of people. Yeah, it really can. So have a good week and we'll see you next time. See you then.